Hello, this is the Better Strangers article for Wednesday, December 13th. It is titled, Helping People Step Back from the Void, a conversation with TikTok star, atheist, spirituality coach, and nihilism recovery expert, Britt Hartley. Uh, just a note, this is an interview that I did with her. I did it over email, so I don't have audio of her speaking, so I will be speaking her parts, which is a little bit weird. But I know a lot of people uh, actually do listen to the audio version of this and uh, wanted to make sure that they had access to it as well and didn't have to, you know, go and read stuff. So the introduction. The TikTok algorithm has me figured out because sometime last year it started showing me videos by Britt Hartley, an expert in secular spirituality. When I first heard her introduce herself this way, I was intrigued at the phrase as secular and spirituality are not words that are normally put together. But Britt's story, I think, is a fairly common one. Much like me, while getting her master's, hers was in theology, mine was in human rights. Britt deconstructed a bit more of her worldview than she'd meant to, lost her faith, and fell into nihilism. Through her business, No Nonsense Spirituality, she now uses the tools she learned studying religion and faith to help the newly faithless work through nihilism and recover from religious trauma. After stitching and tagging each other in videos on TikTok, Britt interviewed me last year for her podcast, Almost Awakened, and she has now graciously agreed to return the favor as we discuss recovering from nihilism on Better Strangers this month. If you're on TikTok, I highly recommend giving Britt a follow. Her stuff is always thoughtful and enlightening. With me today, she discussed the tools she gives people to fight nihilism, why she thinks people get stuck in nihilistic loops, and some of her favorite movies for restoring meaning to life. So my first question was, first, could you describe what your work is and how you came to it? And Britt responded, I work now as an atheist spiritual director. This title is confusing and paradoxical, I realize, but it speaks to my approach in finding and applying spiritual tools that improve our lives without requiring faith or belief in anything you find unbelievable. A lot of the work I do is in helping those who are on the path of religious deconstruction, but my specialty is helping those who keep deconstructing after they de deconstruct their religion. I have a master's degree in theology with an emphasis in the future of American religion from a Christian seminary, but along the way I lost my faith in religion and God. Not only that, I kept deconstructing until I was breaking down the concept of the self, free will, our ability to interact with the ultimate reality, politics, gender, etc., until I felt like there was nothing left and I was in the void. I use secular spirituality as one of the tools that helped me in that place that I also use to help others because it contains so many resources for improving the quality of life without requiring interaction with an organized religion or belief in the unbelievable. Secular spirituality, or science-driven spirituality, helped me to build community, find a contemplative practice, live by a moral code, raise children, create meaning and purpose, develop rituals for my individual and family life, and experience states of awe and transcendence, and essentially rebuild my life after deconstruction. My next question is a bit of a long one. Can you tell me more about the community-building part of secular spirituality? In my experience, working through nihilism is intensely lonely, and my attempts at finding community through, though, through atheist or humanist societies were false starts. It seemed to be a lot of people who were really angry at religions in the Hitchens-Dawkins new atheist vein, and I wanted to move past that. I found a limited community online by talking about my struggles with nihilism publicly, but that has the risk of exposing you to people on the internet who really don't like what you're saying. What do you suggest for people trying to find a community when they're in these dark places? And Britt's response was, Community building is often the hardest part of nihilism because communities require myths, and nihilism is a myth destroyer. For me, I created a community of seekers who were post-religious like me by, by be, simply by being more vulnerable and open and honest in my interactions. Something that you feel in nihilism is that you're the only one with existential dread thoughts, and that is an illusion itself. 
When I began to take a step into vulnerability, taking social risks, and using my nihilism as a superpower to allow me to take more risks than I had in the past, my community started with just one other couple who were asking the questions that I like to ask. From that, as we kept talking, others found their way in, until now there's a community in Boise of people who were all looking for a place where they could be more honest and talk about life. There's nothing special about me or Boise to create that. All it took was leading with vulnerability. Once I started to, I now have more friends than I have time for because the reality is we're all struggling just waiting for someone to take off the mask. My next question. In your experience, what causes people to fall into nihilism? And Britt's response. There are many paths to nihilism, but the two that I see the most often in my work is nihilism after religion and nihilism due to being a deep thinker and a deep feeler. For the first group, if you are raised with an external sense of morality, meaning purpose and community, and you lose your foundation due to a change of faith, it can feel like you've lost everything. For many, it's like being a newborn baby with no coping skills and no tools because everything about their life was built on certain truth claims around faith. It can often be especially hard for this group to shift into life at the level of experience and being if they were out outwardly focused on hustling for their work for God's approval. The other group that I see are those who have the combination of being a deep thinker and a deep feeler. Add in a touch of neuroticism and you've got the trifecta. What this means is that if you want to feel the deepest feelings of human suffering and think the deepest thoughts about the meaning of life, all roads lead to the void. Because eventually, if you ask enough questions, you realize that things you thought were true weren't. You realize how, how biased we all are, how fallible we are as humans when it comes to truth, and the world becomes more mysterious than it seemed at first. There are many rabbit holes of the mind to get caught in and thought loops that are difficult to While there are many paths to nihilism, such as trauma, postmodernism, not being able to afford to live, etc., I find that if you're a deep feeler, deep thinker, and deconstructed from religion, nihilism is almost certainly a way station stop on your journey. My next question, how do you help people make it through these dark nights of the soul? And Britt's response. I really focus on tools, especially tools in secular spirituality that help improve the nature of life itself. If life is just an absurd video game, then you can use the radical freedom from deconstruction to create the game you most want to play just for the joy of playing it. This is what all the philosophers who thought about this question ended up saying. For Nietzsche, it was the Overman. For Camus, it was Sisyphus choosing to push a rock up a hill. For Simone de Beauvoir, it was an authentic life. For Sartre, it was radical freedom. And for Viktor Frankl, it was finding meaning even in the hardest of circumstances. But they all whisper the same message. Can you improve the experience of living by building an authentic life that only you could live? A life so infused with projects and people that you, you care about that it no longer matters that one day it ends. That's the life that I help people build. Those tools include using psychedelics to reset the nervous system and remind you of how you played as a child, building community, finding a contemplative practice, doing inner child work, doing thought work to get your brain working for you rather than against you, rewriting your story, tapping into states of awe and transcendence, remembering how to play and take joy and experience in being, and improving intimacy in relationships. With a few small shifts, I've seen in my own life and in the life of others that nihilism or rock bottom can become the place you become honest about what a life worth living looks like for you, and it can give you the courage to create that life because all pretenses and ego die in that place of the void. My next question was, are there any things you caution people against doing when they're in the dark place? Britt said, I do caution against doing things with your body that statistically make life harder. This was hard advice to follow because in my nihilism, I was spending zero time taking care of my body because I didn't give a shit about anything. But if you want to try and do things to improve the nature of your experience, your body has a role to play in that. Give your brain your best shot at creating a better life by, at the same time of these other tools, taking care of your body. 
eating foods that make the brain happier, going on walks, getting sunshine, not doom scrolling too long, etc. For me, I found that there were certain things I was doing, like sugar consumption, that was making it harder for me to find joy in, in being this, or harder for me to get out of a depressive thought loops. Your body is a machine that is part of this equation, not just ideas of the mind. Sometimes it is better to use the body to change the mind rather than use the mind to change how it feels in our bodies. My final question was, are there specific books, movies, music, or TV shows that you recommend to the recovering nihilist? Um, and just, you know, there are some, uh, this is still Matt speaking, not Brett. Um, there are some light spoilers in uh, the movies that she discusses. Um, I'll do a pause after I name the movies. And um, if you want to kind of skip, um, you know, you can. Um, but... Britt said, my four favorite movies on this shift towards life are Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, Groundhog Day, Wit, and Les Mis. Pause for people who don't want Everything, Everywhere, All at Once spoilers. Everything, Everywhere, All at Once represents nihilism with, everything, with the everything bagel. And the shift that illustrates the beauty of life is when Evelyn puts a googly eye on her third eye, symbolizing her acceptance of the absurd, and she starts using the absurd to her advantage for play and connection with her daughter. And that shift saves her daughter's life from being sucked into the void. Quick pause for Groundhog Day. How have you not seen Groundhog Day? Everyone's seen Groundhog Day. It's been on TV, like, constantly for 30, 40 years. Groundhog Day is an incredibly underrated movie on the meaning of life. Bill Murray gets stuck in a time loop where life becomes meaningless and consequences no longer matter. At first, he replaces meaning with pleasure. He spends his days filling up on donuts and trying to have sex with beautiful women. But the pleasure train isn't enough, so he tries to kill himself in a myriad, way, in a myriad of ways. Only then does he shift into life as experience. He gives the old homeless man one hot meal before he dies, and even though he dies every day, he keeps doing it because the man deserves one last hot meal. He learns to play piano just for the joy of it. He dances, ice skates, ice sculpts, and lives a life of service to others. He falls in love in a way that is genuine, where he enjoys trying to throw cards into a hat with a woman rather than trying to sleep with her. This love and service shift brings him out of his time loop, and he enters life again, excited for a new day with someone he loves. It's a beautiful story. Wit is not a, is not a well-known film, but it is especially poignant for those who get lost, like me, in their own heads and forget that life is in your body and in connection. It is with Emma Thompson and speaks to how, at the end of the day, our titles and even education don't matter. What matters is human connection. Uh, this is a pause for Les Mis, but this is really unnecessary. If you haven't... First of all, you can know the whole plot to Les Mis and still enjoy Les Mis. I think I've seen it like five times live. I was really excited when she sent this to me that she included this on her list because I love Les Mis. It's like my absolute favorite. And I watch like the 25th anniversary concert at least once a year. Um, anyway, you've had enough time to, uh, to skip. Um, back to Brit. Lastly, I love the end of the musical Les Mis. It makes me cry every time. In it, Valjean, who could have chosen resentment for the life that was stolen from him, shifts into a life of love for his adopted daughter and the service for his town. At the end of his life, as he dies, the biological mom thanks him for loving his child, her child, and his voice joins the voices of all of the dead, voices that cry out again from the dust towards freedom and love against tyranny. Those four movies can always snap me back into the meaning of life. In the words of Les Miserables, for those who are still in it, even the darkest night will end and the sun will rise. Uh, thank you so much to Britt Hartley. Um, I do hope to do a lot more projects with her. We've got some stuff we're planning, uh, but I'll announce that when it's an actual thing. Um, definitely give her a follow. Her podcast is excellent. She has some really interesting conversations. Uh, she is also, you know, a 
very popular on TikTok um, and is much more prolific than I am. Uh, so if the type, I, the type of stuff I talk about is interesting to you, uh, 100% give her a follow. Um, and uh, I will talk to you guys next week.